Welcome back to World Cup Coffee and Tea at Northwest 18th and Gleason for this week's OMN Coffee Shop Conversation. I'm Tom D'Antoni. You know, there are an awful lot of internationally known musicians who live in Oregon. They don't necessarily work a lot here. They make their money all over the world and then come home to live here. One of them is guitarist Jennifer Batten. She's a lot more than a guitarist, although she did three world tours playing with Michael Jackson and spent time playing with Jeff Beck and a lot of others. She's also a filmmaker, glass artist, and, well, a lot of other things. She's known for her tapping technique on guitar, and she's pretty astounding with it. I've met most of the people who come to the coffee shop, but I had never met her until now. So let's both meet Jennifer Bat. I'm glad to be here. Any place that's close to coffee is a friend of mine. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, World Cup Coffee and Tea uh, at uh, Northwest 18th and We do all these things here, and then we mention them, you see, and then they let us have the room and give us some coffee. Hey, you can't pass that up. (laughs) Not in today's world. (laughs) So you came came in from the forest? (laughs) Yeah. I live in the forest with the gnomes. Somewhere between here and Mount Hood, yeah. I, I lived in L.A. for 20 years, and I just wanted yeah. the exact opposite. Well, you got it. I certainly got it, and <laughs> I am not regretful by any stretch. How long? How long have you lived here? Almost 14 years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, uh. Almost a native. Got moss in my hair and everything. <laughs> so you got animals around there, and and, and deer and bear and. Like that. I'm only aware of the domestics that live in my house. Two dogs, two cats. Well, that's good. Yeah. In fact, one one of my bastard cats, I, I uh, when I got cats, I had never had cats before. Oh. And I was very aware that they would kill birds and bring them into the kitchen and put as a gift. Dead, dead mice in your bed. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I I built a catio so they can't get out and enclosed <laughs> it and. I went to my sister's for Christmas and came back to a, a prize in the middle of the living room floor, oh, a headless mouse. <laughs> so now I know I'm living with a murderer. Yes, yes. But they're so happy for you. It's, it's for you. It's, it's a gift for you because they love you. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, you can't punish them, that's for sure. They no. wouldn't get that. <laughs> and it got a mouse out of my house that I didn't know was there. there so there go. you go. There you go. Yep. Never, never look a gift mouse in the. <laughs> anyway, we digress. <laughs> so you've been on the road lately? Ah, I spent the whole year on the road. Wow. I, I was hardly home at all. This has been a crazy year, and I'm hoping to have more balance in 2017. Who have you been playing with? Um, I started out the year in February. I went out on a bus tour with Uli John Roth from the Scorpions uh-huh. and Andy Timmons. It was called the Ultimate Guitar Experience, and boy, was there a lot of guitar. <laughs> I mean, Uli had two other guitar players in his band, and uh, I, I did the middle set because I do a multimedia show in sync with film. Uh-huh. So it, it gave the house band a break, which yeah. uh, and and gave people's ears a break as well because Uli, <laughs> I think, is the loudest guitar player on earth. Well, that's saying something. <laughs> yes. For you to say that is. I'm not that loud. I I don't dig it that no, loud. I'm not saying that you're loud, but yeah. you've heard everybody else. Well, I played with Jeff Beck, and yeah. that's where most of my ear damage happens. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, uh. 
Yeah, so um, that was a, a six-week bus tour, and it's the, I always say there's a last time for everything. Yeah. It was the only bus tour I've ever done where you don't get hotel rooms. You sleep on the bus, and oh, no. the only hotel you see is to trade for showers. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm always up for any adventure, but I'm done with that. <laughs> I bet. I bet. <laughs> yeah, that got old. That was a really rough tour. Jeez. But, but inspiring. I mean, Andy Timmons and Uli are phenomenal players. So uh-huh. there's always an upside. So wh- where did you go? Uh, we went all around America, which I usually yeah. don't do. I, uh-huh. I, well, I, a couple summers ago I toured America. I bought an RV so I could tour, but uh-huh. most of my touring is in other countries. And the last, I don't know, four or five years, it's been a lot in Europe. Uh-huh. So um, I'm pretty comfortable over there. But you had a bus driver. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you don't want me driving anything that big. I mean, Jesus, when I got my RV, it was 23 <laughs> feet long, and you, you should see the dings I put in it learning how to drive that. <laughs> I, did a, I did a piece on Albert King long, long, long time ago, and he huh. was known for sending the band on by other means, but driving the bus himself. Really? By himself, because he just loved it. <laughs> well, plus it saves a hell of a lot of money. Bus drivers are not cheap. I don't think, it was, I don't think it was a money thing. Uh, I really don't yeah. think it was a money thing, because he, he, was, he was doing really well at that time. Oh, good. And uh, he just wanted to get this. I'll never forget shaking hands with him, saying goodbye. His hands were like a big pillow. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. And just watching him get on that bus and close the door and drive off. Albert, it goes Albert King. <laughs> Not too many people can say that. And yeah. I never got to see, Well, you know, I think I did see him live. Yeah. Many, many years ago when I was a teenager. I used to go to a ton of concerts in, yeah. when I lived in San Diego. And I'm pretty sure I did see him. Now he was, he was hard on the band. He was what? Hard on the band. Was he? <laughs> yes, very. <laughs> oh, James Brown style. Kind of, yeah. Every mistake gets well, a just fine. Knew, yeah. so he knew what he wanted. Let's put it that way. Yeah. How are you in, in that regard? Uh, I'm... It's so hard on the band, I got rid of bands and I work alone. <laughs> <laughs> Are you hard on yourself? You have to be. Uh, well, I have a certain standard it? for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, I, I've I've worked with plenty of bands that are great, but overall, it's, I don't like being a leader. Huh. And, and uh, there's been so many times where I'm disappointed. You show up in the band doesn't know the tunes well enough and yeah. it's like, God, oh, geez, guys, are we in high school? So, I after well I did ten years with Michael Jackson and then yeah. three with Jeff Beck and after that I thought well God what's next I mean that's the bucket list right there and I'm still alive right right, right. so I came up with the idea of doing the film show because um, I, I started thinking what it would be like to put a band together and take uh, bought a motorhome to continue and tour in America mm-hmm. and it just seemed like so much responsibility and I can't stand looking after people I mean it's a full time yeah. job looking after myself so yeah. I put together the, f- the film show and I've, it's been pretty successful I've been doing it almost 10 years mm-hmm. although I do play with plenty of bands I always have the solo show that's real easy to book and you don't need as much money as you would need for a band right. certainly and all the flight money and all that how, how do you produce these films how do I produce myself yeah the films Oh, the films. Um, yeah. You know, when, when I first got the idea, I put the word out for a year and a half to film schools and online and Google ads and all mm-hmm. that. And after all that time and effort, I ended up with four films only mm-hmm. from other people. Wow. And I thought, wow, that's a pretty short show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the first guy that made a film for me, 
that ended up on my, my last CD DVD for a song called Whatever, which if you're from Southern Cal is pronounced what? Uh, you know, he, I interviewed Frank, Frank Zappa one time, Yeah. right after Valley Girl, <laughs> and he said to me, he said, you know, listen, Tom, you watch, within six months, every teenage girl in America is going to be talking like that, and I went, oh, come on, and then it happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's not just in America, it's, yeah, it freaks yeah. me out when I hear that in other countries, I think, oh, geez. But you really do it right, boy, you, you, you got a good one with it. Well, I, that word is the reason I left L.A. <laughs> I wanted to go to a city that had more oxygen in the air. And uh, I succeeded. <laughs> so, you know, get back to the film. Yeah, yeah, the films. Um, well, the guy that sent me the first film showed me how to do it, and I just fell in love with it. And of all the art forms that I've been involved with, from glass art to making steampunk, metal, fantasy airships to music. Film is my favorite. I, I can just get lost in that for days. So um, before I knew it, I had a 90-minute show, and now I have, gosh, probably over three hours of film. Wow. Yeah, it's it's really, really fun. Huh. Do you take a lot of, if you're, if you're on a tour and, and you're doing that, so especially the one you just got off of, do you, do you take all... Options with you, or do you you know do the same thing, every, or do you do the same thing every night? Uh, I yeah, I have options. Yeah, I, yeah, it morphs. There, there's certain. I mean, you, you kind of take note of what people are responding to. Mm -hmm. I have one song called Cat Fight, and mm -hmm. I do this whole thing about my catio, so you you see <laughs> what I've done, yeah. which is an ever expanding thing, like a, <laughs> like a train set almost <laughs> that I do for those bastards. <laughs> And uh, it's people it. always mention that, so I always put that in, yeah. or at least I have for the last, I don't know, five years or so. But uh -huh. I'm always adding new stuff because, you know, I I have attention deficit disorder <laughs> and I drink a lot of coffee, so well, I want to see new stuff. Don't we all? <laughs> yeah. And I'm very conscious if I if I play the same clubs, I want to have at least one or two new things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, I, I love it. And, yeah. and I, I started out doing... Um, there's a lot of black and white film uh, uh -huh. from a, a site called archive.org that uh, because I, I started with the idea of being able to do a, a CD DVD which whatever mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. and I wanted to be able to sell the videos so if you get public domain that nobody has the rights to then yeah. you can cut them up and sell them so I've used everything from Betty Boop to Shirley Temple to <laughs> you know I did some Michael Jackson stuff uh -huh. I did uh, Smooth Criminal where I have old murder mystery footage Really? Super dramatic, yeah. Uh -huh. And I've done alien kind of stuff, and it's the cheesier the better in my book. And I cut it all to the beat, and I found it really expands the audience. So little kids can sit through a 90-minute show of instrumental yeah. music and yeah, be yeah. entertained. So that was a, a real good bonus. Nice, nice. I had a gig one time in, uh, in in Baltimore. I was a story producer for a TV show called Evening Magazine, and um, we had a uh, they hired a really really stupid boss really stupid okay. and one of the things that this show always did was we always cut the stuff to music right because the station had the had, had the ASCAP you know uh, license and we could do we could use anything we wanted mm -hmm. and he walked in one day and looked at a piece we were working on and he says that, that all goes to the music <laughs> <laughs> observant <laughs> yeah you're right <laughs> yeah. 
Well, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because throughout the time I've been doing the film show, which is almost 10 years, that's one comment I get consistently is, God, it was so magical how it yeah, changed with yeah, the beat. And yeah, it's it's yeah. one of the easiest things you can do in editing. It is. But I it's, mean, you know, if it fascinates people, great. It's the most basic thing. Yeah. You know? I mean, yeah. Um, well, you'd be surprised. When I when I mastered my DVD, yeah. it, was, it was at a local film house, and the guy I was working with had no sense of rhythm whatsoever. Oh, no. And... <laughs> I was checking stuff out, and there was a couple, a couple films in particular that were so out of sync it was disturbing, oh, and he geez. he didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately, he's he doesn't represent most of my audience. Uh, luckily, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I hope you found another another. Uh, I got else past to work it. With. Yep. <laughs> yep. Move on. Move aside. Move on. Yeah. That's funny. Uh, it's unfor- It's terrible. I mean, I can't imagine how you felt you know, when you looked at it. Holy shit, you know. <laughs> well, there, there definitely was a, a cloud full of text above my head. Yeah. <laughs> which happens a lot, especially when playing with bands. <laughs> well, it has to. Yeah. You know, I mean. People never cease to amaze. Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, and the thing is, some people just take the wrong way. Uh, people who understand understand that you're just expressing, you know, that this is what you want. Yeah. Which is completely valid. Yeah. And this is what this is what I want, right? This is what, and and, and so, he, he, and you he, and you should expect it. <laughs> well, especially you know, I, there was one tour in particular a, a couple of years ago that had some really great players, uh-huh. and. When I play in Europe, it's a matter of, you know, we get together for four hours and play the show that night. Yeah. That's it. There's there's no luxurious luxurious week or two weeks yeah. rehearsal. Yeah. So everybody knows they have to do their homework. And I did everything I could possibly do aside from hold them by the hand and say, this is how it goes. <laughs> you know, here's the audio. Yeah. I also gave them audio minus one from my records because uh-huh. I... I always give myself a copy minus one to yeah. play along with. And um, I even wrote out, like, every note. <laughs> and, it, you, you know, there's no shortcut. You have to do the work and yeah. internalize it. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, there you go. That's the end of my bitching for the day. <laughs> for the moment. <laughs> yeah. Well, it might come back. Who knows? <laughs> um, so, how... How did you develop being able to do that? I mean, being able to, to, to walk into a situation like that when you're not the leader and, and have somebody go here, or here, you know, here, here music, and, you know, got it. Well, I, I think you need was to have... Was it ever scary, and did it ever stop being scary? Oh, there's always scary situations, yeah. the, the unknown, for sure. Yeah. I mean, even if you, you get audio of the entire set and work your ass off on it, you could come in and find everything's going to be in a different key now because we have a new singer or or different forms. And maybe the band's been doing that form for so long they just don't realize it's not the original form. In fact, there was, I'll tell you what, there was a, a guy I worked with in town here that he brought me in to guest on a, a Halloween show. And we, we did a couple of Michael Jackson songs and some other dance stuff. And 
he said beforehand, I, I'm not going to have you do the Michael Jackson medley we do because um, there's a lot to it. And I go, great. Well, I'm on stage and he calls it out. <laughs> And nothing is in the original key, and I have no idea. In a medley, you don't know when it's going to change from one song to the next. It was just like, oh, well, I'll just sit here with my pants down. It'll be over soon. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so it's, uh, but what, all you can do is what is in your control. Yeah. And that's homework, the homework that you're given. And anything beyond that, hopefully you can kind of, Swing with it. Yeah, I hope that wasn't Eddie Martinez. It was not. No, <laughs> nope. I've had nothing but good experiences with Eddie. Everybody, everybody. Well, that's that's what everybody says. Yeah. Okay. He's one of the nicest men in the world. Yeah. <laughs> he really is. Yeah. Um, and the thing is that to have you know uh, people of uh, both of you in the same town, sort of. I mean, I know you're out there, but you're still here. Uh, is pretty amazing. You know, when you consider all the people that, that, that all that you two, the, the, all the people that you two have played with, it's amazing, just amazing. Oh, we've, we've both been very blessed. Yeah. And uh, I think he and I both decided the, the bigger cities are not for us yeah. <laughs> in the end. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's a, there's a lot of people that escaped L.A. Yeah. It's just so overcrowded. I was yeah. just there uh, last week, and I just think 20 million people on these roads. Yeah. 20 million, L.A., Portland, right. two. Which yeah. would you choose? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, both, and you're both from New York. Yeah, right. I, I was from upstate New York. The oh, family moved to gotcha. San Diego when I was nine. Wow. So I never, I never even got in New York City until I was on the Michael Jackson tour. Really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> kind of nice way to see it. Very yeah. pampered. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jeez. <laughs> what part of upstate? Near Watkins Glen, where they had the NASCAR uh, races. yeah, yeah. yeah. It actually used to be Grand Prix when right. when my dad was there. He was the the country doctor. They would patch up all the people that got in drunken fights at the <laughs> car races. <laughs> and he also delivered me. So really? part of our house was the medical office. Wow. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, and then I think when he, he says it was his midlife crisis when he moved to San Diego, because he's you know nothing worse than the dead of winter where there's snow and ice on the roads and yeah. somebody is sneezing and wants you to show up at three in the morning <laughs> for a house call. <laughs> so he escaped that and started working for Kaiser Permanente. Did you like San Diego? Uh, yeah, I, I did, but I was aware of what a shocking difference it was because I lived in a tiny town. Uh, yeah. Uh, in upstate New York, very country, and everybody knew each other, and all of a sudden I'm in the big city um, and joining the Girl Scouts, and it was just a whole other whole other experience. But, you know, as a friend of mine said that was also in my class in, gosh, I think sixth grade in San Diego, we've, we've stayed in touch throughout the years, and she ended up, after she graduated high school, she moved to Germany. I think, well, her mother was German, so I think she knew the language already and she said you know I just wanted something exotic because San Diego was too have a nice day <laughs> and I always remembered that because it kind of is <laughs> uh, so alright so when you when you arrived in New York yeah. on that tour did you, did you, the first thing you see is, saw in New York was a limo window I'm sure it was yeah yeah, yeah we played uh, Madison Square Garden for three nights and Steve Stevens from Billy Idol's band was with us on at least one of those nights, maybe all three. Yeah, it was a, it was a great way to see it. And 
we we also played there when I was in Jeff Beck's band. Yeah. So it was very pampered. I never had to hail a cab. Everything was taken care of. <laughs> yeah, get in and get out. That must have been easy to get used to. Oh, yeah. Oh, after the first Michael Jackson tour was over, I just wanted to cry because I realized nobody was going to come make my bed and bring me <laughs> breakfast. <laughs> it was, that life was over, at least temporarily. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you adjust? Did you just, I mean... Oh, with no choice. Yeah. You know, yeah, dumped yeah. into the real world again. It, <laughs> it's, it's always an adventure. Yeah. Have you ever have, have you ever done an interview where nobody asked you about Michael Jackson? <laughs> I doubt it. I doubt it, yeah. yeah. I was going to try. Well, it was a 10-year period of my life. I know. You know, it's such a I huge know. thing. Uh, but take it anywhere you want to. All right. Did you spend a lot of time rehearsing? Oh, with Michael, definitely. We, yeah. The first tour, the bad tour in 1987 was two months rehearsal, uh -huh. which is a massively yeah. long time. Uh -huh. um, the first month, the band was in one room by themselves, singers in another and dancers in another. So we were essentially getting together everything we heard on the audio from the, uh, the Victory Tour. Yeah. That was the last tour he did with his brothers. And then we also added, I think in the beginning, only three or four songs from Bad, because he didn't want to play anything that hadn't been on the radio. Yeah, yeah. And also on that tour, it was such a long tour, we, we started out in Japan and ended up in Japan with a whole new show. Uh -huh. So before that, wow. that last uh, leg, the final leg in Japan, we had another, gosh, probably a month of rehearsal in Pensacola, Florida, of all places. Wow. And went back to Japan with a brand new show. I, I often think of him as, because I don't know anything about him as a leader at all. Mm. I'm completely, totally ignorant about, of Michael Jackson as a leader. But I, I, I sometimes, I, I, in thinking about it, I'm thinking, I, I wonder if he was like Prince. Mm, no, not. No. Well, they were both extremely musical and extremely creative, but in different yeah. ways. Uh, Prince yeah. was more hands on. Yeah, that's what I'm he would asking. write all the songs, yeah. and he could play all the instruments. Yeah, Michael yeah. could write with his voice. For, uh, for instance, uh -huh. Billy Jean, he did beatboxing, and then he did all the parts with uh -huh. his voice, and then hired people to come in and play the play the stuff. Yeah, but he he was very hands on in in every category, from dance to his his vision of trying to come up with the greatest show on earth. You know, he he always wanted to wow people and do stuff that hadn't been done before, and it all came from him. Did he tell you what he wanted you to play? He didn't have to. Huh. Uh, when I got there in 1987, you know, Thriller was the biggest <laughs> album on the planet, mm -hmm. and we were going to play those songs. Yeah. yeah. You know, it was it was like being in a very glorified cover band, but all the covers were <laughs> from one guy. That's you funny. Know? Yeah, yeah. And and yeah. you think about. A song like Billie Jean, uh -huh. it was on the radio so much that whether people realize it or not, everybody knows the EQ on the snare. Right. So a lot of the rehearsal uh, was dialing in those sounds. And everybody had a rack of sounds, including the drummer. Huh. And even though he had a regular drum kit, Ricky Lawson, he had a rack of sounds that he would trigger as well. Because some of those snares on his, especially stuff on the Bad Tour, almost sounded like bombs or yeah. bombs combined with ping pong balls. They yeah. were just so massive. Yeah. Yeah. So um, they they would get to the multi-tracks and grab uh -huh. those sounds and trigger them live. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. 
Yeah, a lot of effort, man. It's it's a night and day different from here's four hours, go on stage. Yeah. So that's interesting. So you have a lot of communication with him? At rehearsals, sure. Anybody had access to him. He was very friendly. He never lost his temper in 10 years. I was always amazed by that because I, I put myself in the same shoes and having the same pressure Imagine, of expectation. Yeah. You, you get 50,000 people that just paid 100 or $200 for their seats yeah. or, or more, yeah, yeah. and you better be good every single time. Yeah. You know? And, and uh, you better be good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you, did, you, you felt that pressure. Did you feel that pressure too? Uh, there's nothing like his pressure. No, right, when I was on stage, there was two guitars bass drums and two keyboards so if I made a mistake mm-hmm. it's not gonna be that noticeable mm-hmm. uh, the only time I really felt pressure is during the second half of the show I mean, I mean we played different songs for different tours there was three tours I did with him but um, I, I noticed my heart would start pounding before I went out for the beat it solo Wow. because you know? wow. <laughs> <laughs> I mean in the beginning especially they when I run out for that solo they'd um, they had me lit up like a Christmas tree with fiber optics on my head and the lights would go out. And the first time I tried that on at rehearsal, yeah. they turned out the lights and I couldn't see my frets. Oh, jeez. And I thought, yeah, that's what I thought. Hell to this. <laughs> so I got glow-in-the-dark tape for fret markers and yeah. <laughs> carried on after that. So, 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 there were, so there were two guitars in that band. Yep. Now, you're, you're, you're kind of known for... You know, multiple playing with 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 other guitars, which is pretty unusual. I th- I think I don't have a lot of that. Uh, um, generally, guitar players are are known for uh, turning up too loud and <laughs> playing their own stuff. <laughs> How does that work with guitar players playing with more? Oh well, it really depends on the gig. With Michael Jackson. Yeah. Uh, there's there's quite a few songs that that have two guitar parts, yeah. and when there wasn't, you know, we would make a decision um, if somebody was going to double a keyboard part or yeah. play the same part, uh, uh-huh. double the part, or play an octave apart. Yeah. So kind of have a meeting of the minds. Now th- that's what we did on the first tour, on the um, bad tour. John Clark was the other guitar player, mm-hmm. but on the Dangerous and History tours, uh, David Williams was the other guitar player, and he was the guy on the records. So uh, when you hear that skanking, clean sound, yeah. Billie Jean or yeah. whatever, that was him. So, you know, I wasn't about to play his parts, yes. <laughs> nor would he allow that, I'm <laughs> <Right>. sure. <laughs> what about with Jeff Beck? With Jeff, that was a, that was a gig I did not see coming. Um, really? I just wanted to get an autograph. And <laughs> when we were on the, when the Dangerous Tour was ramping up, I got the schedule and saw that we were going to England and so that was my mission to meet him and get an uh, autograph yeah. and every show that we did uh, I would look up the, the, the Sony reps that would be hanging out at the show and try to find some way to connect with Jeff yeah. <laughs> you know you people all know each other so eventually somebody came through and got him a ticket to Wembley Stadium and I was so excited, of course. And Michael canceled that show oh. at the last minute. Two two opening acts went on, and then Michael canceled. 
And so I called up Jeff the next day and said, you know, I don't know when or if they're going to make up the show, but can I meet you anyway? And so he invited me to the studio he was recording his Rockabilly record at. And, and he knew who you were. Yeah, yeah he did, yeah. through Terry Bozio, because uh -huh. Terry and I were pals. Um, or at least he knew the blonde hair with Michael Jackson. <laughs> you know, <laughs> hard to miss that. Um, so, yeah, he... He let me come down, and at that time, my first record had just come out. And also, I was just given a VHS, PAL format, of course, yes. a video that I did a video for Flight of the Bumblebee where I was covered with live bees, and I <laughs> did a thing for MTV over there. Yeah. And they gave me a copy of it, so I gave that to him. Ah. And I thought, I just made my connection, bucket list, uh -huh. cross it off, and thought I'd never hear from him again. And what are you talking about? Well, I... <laughs> that's usually how it goes I mean I, yeah. I had no reason to right. look, look him up again yeah, yeah, yeah. we weren't pals or anything and <laughs> he called a couple months later and said I finally had a chance to listen to your record properly and let's do a record together wow yeah nice. it just floored me <laughs> and well that makes sense in true Beck form it was actually five years before anything happened <laughs> <laughs> so I, I had like five years of anxiety dreams, like, oh, Jeez. shit, i got to face that. And finally one day he called and said, I have a tour of Italy, come on. Wow. Yeah, so yeah. That, was, that was a real blessing. I learned a lot in that time. And unlike the Jackson tour where there was two guitars, two keyboard players, right. all of a sudden it's pared down to four people total, and I yeah. was the harmony. Yeah. And... When we first got together, it was the original band was was going to be Terry Bozio and um, Tony Levin. Uh -huh. We got together in a rehearsal studio in New York and played for a couple of days. And he was perfectly fine to have me play guitar, but I thought, no, that, if we're going to do any old material, that stuff was all keyboards. Max Middleton, Jan yeah. Hammer, Tony Hymas. Right. So I set about to get into uh, synth triggering on the guitar and. That was real trial by fire, man. I had is that what you such call it? trouble. Triggering? Yeah, What's triggering the, the, the synthesizer tapping, sounds. The tapping thing? No, no, it's oh, oh, it's oh, accessing oh, gotcha. synth okay. sounds from sound modules. Oh, oh, all right, all right. Which, gosh, I mean, this was... You know, people don't know this. You realize that? Well, I, they do now. They do now. I, yes. I know, I'm coming from a guitar head. No, it's fine. No, it's, <laughs> it's terrific. <laughs> and it, at that time, it... it, it it was a long way from where it is now. Uh -huh. Now, I, the last couple of years, I've been using a Fishman Triple Play, which is a wireless MIDI system, uh -huh. and the triggering is so quick uh -huh. that you can solo with it uh -huh. and do things you couldn't do back then. But basically, all I could do back then was play pads, you know, chords behind uh -huh. Jeff, which is uh -huh. most of what was needed, but I, I didn't even want to begin to try to solo with those sounds because it was squawky and mistriggering and oh. nasty and... <laughs> Um, so that's what I did. At least half of my gig with him was was copying the piano parts from huh. previous players. Huh. Huh. What was the other part? Uh, guitar. Oh. And I sang, yeah. which was, that's a kind of a funny thing too, because I gave a concert for my friends when I was 18. Uh -huh. And I had been practicing all these cover tunes for months, Almond Brothers, Doobie Brothers, yeah. Zeppelin. And everything was fine until I had a room full of people. I <laughs> caged all my friends into my apartment so there was a no escape. Filled the water cooler with, with uh, 
I don't know, some kind of nasty wine, and that was the party for the night. Boone's Farm? Probably, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't much of a connoisseur back then. We had a wine in Baltimore called Mooby Fooby. Oh, jeez. Big MF on a bottle. <laughs> <laughs> True. All right. I'm sure that got a lot of buyers. <laughs> it did. So there, there you are. So, yeah, partner. so all of a sudden I have an audience, and I got nervous, and my throat kind of closed up, and I had a hard time oh, reaching notes that I had no problem with on my own. And I listened to the cassette tape the next day and stopped singing for 20 years. Wow. I thought, I got to get something together, and it, I chose Jeez. guitar. <laughs> wow. So anyway, with Jeff, um, he had recorded a song, a Muddy Waters song, with Imogen Heap, who's uh -huh. one of my favorite artists, just a great electronica creative soul. And I knew that she wasn't going to be on the tour, so... Uh, and at the same time, I had hooked up with a friend of mine that works for, or at that time worked for a company out of Canada called IVL. Mm -hmm. And they joined with Digitech for certain effects, and they came up with vocal effects. And they had a new box that was coming out at the time that the guy got me really excited about it. He said, you, you, can, program, you can sing through this. It's going to pitch correct. You can choose what vibrato you want. You could turn yourself into Elvis with a different octave. And it, it just sounded like the most amazing thing in the world. So I immediately wrote to Jeff and said, I'll, I'll sing that song. Well, the box wasn't ready in time for the tour. Oh, no. So I was stuck with my voice. <laughs> so, and it was a real eye-opener because some... Some nights I'd sing it and it felt fine, and some nights it did not feel fine, and I didn't know why. Huh. I, I couldn't, uh, I, I would listen to tapes afterwards and realize I was flat the whole song. Wow. And I, I didn't realize it, so obviously I couldn't correct it. Yeah. it was, and it just gave me a whole new respect for singers uh -huh. because they have no frets in their, their throats. Right. <laughs> you know, a guitar player, right. we, we can be in a right. horrible cacophony and yeah. still know we're playing the right thing yeah. visually. Even if you can't hear yourself well, but singers, well, God bless them. Yeah, they're like Jacob Astorius, though, right? <laughs> wow, that—that's a whole other incarnation <laughs> of greatness. Yeah, I named my dog Jocko. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I still got a Jocko poster on my wall. Wow. Um, so, um, did you, do you when you dream? Mm. Do you ever hear your own voice and it's terribly distorted? That's what happens to me. I have work dreams where I'm at the, I'm, I'm at the radio station, yeah. and I'm behind the board. First of all, nothing works. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Second of all, I try to talk, and I can't really get the words out, but there's, there's some really weird, distorted voice. Am I the only one? <laughs> I'm the well, only one. I, I, I would guess that everybody in every line of work has work-related dreams. Yeah, yeah I, where things I, don't work. <laughs> I worked at Burger King for three years when I was a teen, and yeah. I still remember a dream where the broiler that you would stick the burgers on, you know, normally that was yeah. maybe a four-foot chain, and then somebody on the other end would pick it up and throw it in the burger. Well, I dreamt that it was about 20 yards, <laughs> and I was just sweating bullets trying to pick up the meat on the other side. And throw, you know. But I, I've had plenty of performance anxiety dreams yeah, yeah that that's I don't know the tunes yeah. I can't find the stage right, yes, I'm not dressed yes, right. <laughs> I don't have my contacts in did you ever hear Bill Frizzell's great dream no I, I, I actually have it it's it's on it's it's up on on on, on, the, on the podcast it's 
this amazing dream. He was, I'll just make it very short. He was, it was in an old house. There were little, little men <laughs> who took him upstairs and they said, I want, I want to show you what perfect color looks like. Wow. And they turned, whatever they did, they showed him perfect color. And now I'm going to, and, and then they said, then they said, now I want to, I want you to hear what perfect music sounds like. Mm. And he heard it and it changed his entire life from that dream. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, he's such a great storyteller and he's such a, such a, you know, soft-spoken, sensitive guy. Adventures in the astral plane. Yeah. Yeah. Really. Mm. <laughs> anyway. Um, where were we? <laughs> I forget. It's okay. We were tripping. That's we, where we I, were. It's true. It's very true. And, and, and why not? You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, uh, so I got to talk about, you know, your, you know, your, your, your most famous technique. Ah. Uh. Yeah, the tapping. What is that? Tapping. You call it tapping? Yeah, you know, when I first started it, it was called hammer-ons. That was more common, but over time, it just became tapping. T-A-P-P-I-N-G. No, (laughs) hammer-ons. Well, hammer, like a hammer, Uh H-A-M-M-E-R dash O-N-S. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. It's not like it sounds like a you know a, a, a German royal family, the Hammerons. <laughs> <laughs> it could have started there. Who knows? Could have been. You never know. Yeah. Well, um, when I did you w- learn it? I went to Guitar Institute of Technology long before it became Musicians Institute. It huh. was only guitar uh-huh. with Howard Roberts at the helm. Oh wow! Pat Hicks. Jeez. They, they co-founded it, and there was only um, three teachers at the time and 60 students. I was in the third class they ever had and graduated in 79. And every month we would have a seminar by different guitar players, phenomenal people. Larry Carlton came in one time, Pat Metheny, you know, wow. just yeah, all these yeah. heavyweights, Lee Rittenauer. And one month it was Emmett Chapman uh-huh. who invented the Chapman stick. And if people are not familiar with it, Tony Levin is probably the most famous player of it. It's it's more like a, a big fretboard mm-hmm. with no body that strapped across your body and it's all touch um, tapped really mm-hmm. by both hands there's no pick in the right hand there's five bass strings five melody strings and you, you play it like a piano in that the left hand is typically independent of the right hand and all of us were you know there's 60 students and 59 of us looked at this demonstration and thought that's cool, but you know what? We're trying to get these six strings together <laughs> that are tuned this way, and yeah. we got our hands full. Steve Lynch was a guy in my class. That a seed was planted then, which is so fun to see in hindsight because you never know what's going to trigger people to go off into some adventure land and yeah. take off from that. And ever since then, he started um, experimenting with having both hands on the fretboard and came up with a... A, a technique that was easy to understand. Um, eventually wrote three books called The Right Touch, uh-huh. Volume 1, 2, 3, and a DVD. And I would check in with him and see what he was doing throughout the year, and it just sounded so fresh and fascinating. I knew I wanted to get into it, but during the school year, it, I, just to keep up with the curriculum, I couldn't do anything extra. Yeah. So as soon as I graduated, I contacted him, and he sent me a um, an audio of things he had been working on. And I tried to learn it with just one finger of the right hand, trying to copy what he was doing. And sounded like crap, got a blister on my finger. And so, so I go, you know what, I got to do a face-to-face. Yeah. 
So at that time, I had moved back to San Diego. I drove up to L.A. where he was, and it was just one lesson that, that set me off into adventure land and just been experimenting ever since, and it's become a huge thing. Yeah. With, with acoustic, having yeah. a, a whole different technique. In fact, one of my favorite players now is a guy named Preston Reed, uh -huh. who's an acoustic tapper. He's got a very unique way of doing it, and sometimes with his left hand o over the top of the neck instead wow. of under. Uh -huh. And he's got such a great sense of time that makes all the difference. If it's grooving and interesting, you got me. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so that's did, the story did, of my tap. Did you pick it up right away? I mean, did it take a long time to learn? I was obsessed, yeah. I tend to be oh, pretty yeah. OCD obsessed <laughs> with things, whether yeah. it's working with glass or yeah. building a catio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, you know, one thing I, I warn people about when I'm teaching them is... Uh, you don't realize how much time went into building calluses on your left hand. You just take it for granted that they're there if you play a lot. Yeah. But with your right hand, it's like a baby's behind, you know. Yeah. Maybe a half hour a day wow. until your fingers become conditioned enough that it doesn't hurt. Because I, I went to town and ended up with blisters on all my fingers on my right Jeez. hand because I did wow. too much too soon and you couldn't play for a week. <laughs> <So> <laughs> Could you play a six string that way, or did you have to not not not, not play anything? Um, you know, I I probably just didn't tap yeah. for that period yeah. of time. Yeah. yeah, I could still do plenty of playing. I that's back in the days when I was very disciplined. I was uh -huh. doing eight or ten hours a day. Working. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I would divide it up with uh, a system I learned from school. Uh, in fact, it, Howard Roberts had the the greatest idea on educating people and we would have a class for instance maybe we were learning arpeggios or something uh -huh. and the class would be an hour and there was a 90 minute what they called lab period uh -huh. after the class where you worked on what you just learned and he had a, a paper every day that you'd get and it would say for instance spend three minutes working on the C major 7 arpeggio in the third position yeah. And you would have an egg timer, and it would go off, and you had to keep moving. Uh -huh. So it forced you to focus, or yeah. you'd get really behind. Wow. And I, I didn't keep up that intensity after school, but I would do an egg timer for an hour, like do sight reading for an hour, ear training for an hour, wow. scales or whatever. Yeah. And it was very easy to take up eight or nine hours. How about now? Oh, forget about it. <laughs> 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 right? You know, people ask me that all the time. How much do you practice? And it really, I'm very, I, I guess, goal-driven in yeah. that. It, it depends what's going on. Um, I got a gig I'm doing on New Year's, and yeah. so I got to learn some tunes for that. So that's what my day is going to be about. What's that gig? Um, I'm playing with um, Blake Sakamoto at uh -huh. the Hilton in Vancouver. Uh -huh. Just guesting on yeah. a few songs. Yeah. So... Uh, Usually I'll, I'll learn the tunes and then uh, I use a, a really awesome app that I have been using for years to learn everything called Transcribe. Uh -huh. And I might take the solo section or even get karaoke versions of it and, and just jam on the solo section for an hour <laughs> just to get comfortable with it. And yeah. um, So that's what my practice is. It's, it's for a purpose rather than just doing scales just for the joy of doing scales, which no longer is joyful. <laughs> <laughs> Do you make sounds when you play? 
Yeah, I I'm not a big grunter, but I I some I do notice that. Some, yeah, you know, I, I when I was doing the organ art beat show, we would generally uh, have a, a mic here and then mic the you know mic mic the band. Yeah. Uh, and, and and you know including the guitar and we had to turn this mic off. Yeah. <laughs> For some some people, I won't, won't mention names, because they would make the most awful sounds yeah <laughs> it's like they were taking a dump or something well you know when, when people are playing music it lights up i think more areas of the brain than anything else way more than just listening to music there's so much of your brain engaged and it just takes you to another level of concentration uh -huh. and i find the older i get the more concentration it takes because the deeper i go to, to try to emote. Uh -huh. I think when I was younger, it was more about what I had learned and let the fingers fly and blah, yeah. blah, blah. And yeah. now it's, it, it takes way more of me. And I'll never forget one time I, I did a uh, live streaming thing with Jeff Beck and I was uh, staying at his house at that time and wherever the hell it is, uh, an hour from London. And he and his wife and I were watching TV after the whole thing was over and he lasted about five minutes. He was so spent yeah. from that oh, probably only a half hour of playing wow. because he invested that much of his brain yeah. energy into yeah. it and yeah. you only have a finite amount before yeah. you just have to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like that a lot after I play depending on what the really? gig is. Yeah, if it's one of my solo shows and I go for 90 minutes, it's yeah. there's a lot of effort that goes into that. That's a good feeling, huh? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's satisfying, sure. Yeah. There's plenty of gigs I do that I don't feel satisfied, and I yeah. just want to run away. Yeah. Afterwards. Well, you know. I mean, <laughs> or have a belt. I understand. I, I I had a job making car commercials at one point in my career. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and you know. I didn't feel too attached to that emotionally, no. huh? <laughs> not, not really. Not really. Yeah. Um. And so um. So what's what's coming up? Oh gosh. Product. 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 <laughs> you know what? Well, now that you do mention that, um, I haven't had a record out in many years. I, I, I just kind of partly am protesting because everybody can get your music for free these yeah, days and rip yeah. it off. And I think, well, you know, I spent well over $10,000 on my last record, and that's just mixing and mastering because wow. I recorded everything at home. And I thought, I'm not, I might as well just give five bucks to every fan out there. <laughs> You know, because it's just like tossing money away. But I, I ended up being hired for some sessions in Chicago with a really fantastic singer named Mark Shearer. Uh -huh. And he's working in Jim Peterick's studio, who was, uh, wrote Eye of the Tiger uh -huh. and Survivor. And uh, I did two bouts of sessions there and had a really good time and enjoyed the music. And then he called me up and asked me to be more of a part of the record. So now it's being, being called Cher Batten. Really? Yeah. So I kind of got elevated from session person. <laughs> so that should be out in the spring. And it, well, it's good. kind of, I would say kind of foreigner. Really? That's the first thing that comes to mind. Uh -huh. I mean, he's uh -huh. got a really excellent voice, kind of, kind of higher, uh, higher pitch than the average male. And it's, huh. Interesting. So I don't know what's going to happen with that, but 
it's about time I had a new record come out. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It is. Because um, the last, you know, we, we, we ran your uh, appearance on um, um, PDX Spotlight. Okay. Their first show, because we, we, we run all their shows uh. on Oregon Music News. And so, you know, I mean, we never see you. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, when, when I first moved to Portland, I really made an effort to get out. And yeah. I've been told it's a very clicky city. Yeah. And to just, just get a callback or get any response at all from any of the clubs is like pulling teeth. You know what would be great? Would it just would be a, a two-guitar show with you and Eddie. That would be yeah, fabulous. Yeah, yeah. That would be absolutely fabulous. Well, that would be that would be cool. And my first thought is Jimmy Max, which is no longer, no longer after in existence. But January, you know, that, yeah. they're working on they're working on stuff. Oh, are they good? Yeah, uh, so, some of the people who are involved. You know, it's, that makes sense because there's an audience there. It's, uh, of course, there's an audience. Yeah. You know, I mean, that place was was uh, was, was made money. It mm. made money. Imagine that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, that. That would be that would, that, that that would be a dream. That would be a dream show to see you never to, know. See, to see you two together. Yeah. Jeez. If I could ever stay in town long enough. <laughs> <laughs> I got a lot of stuff going on this year, and it's yeah. this whole last year I had a bit of everything. Where are you um, going next? Um. Well, next for me is the Nam show. Ah. Which, when I moved up here, I didn't go for ten years and didn't wow. miss it at uh -huh. all. But some people don't know what that is. Uh, yeah, National Association of Music Merchants. Yeah. So everybody that's selling instruments, sounds, gadgets, anything to do with music, yeah. uh, shows their wares, and international buyers uh -huh. come in once a year in Anaheim. Uh -huh. And they have a summer NAM that is in Nashville, and there's also a, a, a European one called the Frankfurt Show in uh -huh. Frankfurt, Germany in March. And uh, I'm, I'm excited about it. What are you going to do there? Uh, I'm going to be demoing for two companies, and uh -huh. one is Fishman uh -huh. for their, their triple play wireless MIDI system. Uh -huh. And it's really fun because it really opens up my imagination with all the sounds that are available. Yeah. And this year, in fact, I was just in L.A. filming a commercial for their merging with East-West Sounds, uh -huh. which is one of the biggest sound, uh, sound makers for producers, arrangers, and now they're they're dumbing it down for the guitar systems <laughs> so that because generally when you well let me back up the fishman triple play comes with 140 sounds that are presets yeah. and they're all dialed dialed in they have great effects already built in and everything's there if you reach outside of that sound system that's dialed in then you essentially have to go to whatever program it is and physically dra drag and drop each sound on each string wow. and then tell it if you want it to bend or not bend huh. and tell it if you want tremolo and not tremolo. Yeah. You know, it's it's a little bit of a pain. So when, when I say dumbed down, it's it's going to be ready to go, yeah. plug and play. And um, I heard some of the sound. well, I demoed some of the sounds. Yeah. Slash showed up. It, uh -huh. th there was a private little thing as well as filming. And Andy Summers from the police who had used guitar synthesizer on the Ghost in the Machine record, uh -huh. which I didn't realize that. I yeah. just assumed it was keyboards. Uh -huh. But, I mean, it, it's amazing because the technology has advanced so much since the olden days. You had to have yeah. a 13-pin cable and a MIDI converter yeah. and yeah. missed triggers and delay time before you between when you hit a string and you hear the sound. 
it was just really not usable professionally. Um, but now the, the delay time is almost unnoticeable. Wow. And, for instance, before, to trigger a bass sound, you play a note, and a week later, you hear the sound. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, you know, I did a story one time on the old theater organ that's in Oaks Park, Yeah. And which used to be in a, in a movie theater downtown, and there there is about a second delay yeah. between the time the guy you know presses the key and when you hear the sound. And the guy was was fabulous. He played it. As, it, was, it was like those, it was flawless. Yeah. How, how do you do that? You know. Jeez. Well, he's got to have the sound hitting him direct. Otherwise, it'll throw you off. No. He had didn't You're have kidding. headphones. He just had played that organ for so long. He he just he knew how to do it. Jeez. Isn't that amazing? Oh. <laughs> couldn't dance to it. Yeah. Yeah. So for for instance, yeah. one of the the demos I do is fretless bass, and I do Jocko's Teen Town. Do you? Yeah, I mean that's just to show how fast it'll trigger. Uh -huh. So, uh -huh. and he East West has a whole Beatles pack too. So I did the intro to Strawberry Fields uh -huh. with that Mellotron flute kind of yeah, thing, and yeah. it's it's fun. It, it just uh, triggers the imagination. But with each sound, it can be so inspiring. Uh -huh. It can remind you of a, uh, another tune or just set you off to write a tune. So I'm doing that, and also I'm demoing for. Uh, a new company called Blue Guitar, B-L-U uh -huh. Guitar, <clears throat> that's run by Thomas Blug, who's a, an amazing German guitar player. And I knew him as a player. I would see him at the trade shows uh -huh. and just thought, God, he sounds really great. And I ended up at his house a couple years ago. I had a day off when I was touring, and I didn't realize he had been working, developing amps for Hughes and Kettner for 20 years. <laughs> And so he's he's kind of an Einstein of sound. He's one of those guys that can sit there and listen to various tubes for hours on end. <laughs> Where me, I'm like two minutes and I'm out of there. Yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so thankfully there are people like that, the geeks of sound. And he has created an amplifier that replaces a vintage 100 watt Marshall. Wow. And it's two pounds. Jeez. And it's <laughs> mostly analog and and. It gets the tube saturation from a nanotube. Uh -huh. So you can throw it in your gig bag instead of getting a hernia. Oh, jeez. And it's, it's because he's a touring player and a really good one, yeah. he knows what guitar players really want. Yeah, yeah. One is a lightweight amp, yep. uh, MIDI capable, so you could change channels with a, another device. Um, what else? It's got reverb and it's programmable. It's a phenomenal piece of technology. And he's just come out with a new thing that I just got a couple of days ago that I'm, I'll be using at this um, New Year's show. It's a speaker simulator direct box. Now, usually when you play guitar, there's an amplifier, there's a speaker, and you throw a mic in front of the speaker. Nine times out of ten, the sound guy will put the mic right in front of the center of the cone, which is the worst possible sound you can get out of a speaker. <laughs> and I look back and I move it and sometimes yeah. I'll move it to? to the side of the cone okay. where it's not so harsh yeah. Um, yeah. to the paper. Well, that's what people do in radio. When you, when, you, when, you, when you mic yourself in radio, you're never talking to the mic. Okay. to the side. Okay. Right. Well, a very similar thing, but most sound right. guys don't know that. Yeah. And 
it, there's been even times in the middle of a show I look back and go, oh, Jesus, he moved it back. <laughs> so I, in the middle of a solo, I'll walk back there and move it to the side again. Well, this replaces everything so you wow. guitar players get even more control. Jeez. So you do the, the output of your amp into this device called the Blue Box, B-L-U-B-O-X. Yeah. Yeah. And you have a choice of impulse responses of tw uh, 16 different speaker types yeah. Yeah. from yeah. Fenders to different years of Marshalls to his own speakers. And not only that, but you get another knob where you can dial in mic placement, virtual <laughs> mic placement. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so that just removes... <laughs> you know, I think it still screw you up from, from yeah. out front, yeah. especially yeah. if it's a... Sometimes when you get the best sound guys, they're deaf because they've been doing it for so long. Right. So their highs are shot, yeah, and yeah, they'll be, yeah. you know, that's out of your control <laughs> when you're on the stage. Guitar but players want to rule, want to rule the universe, don't they? We want to rule our universe. <laughs> I'll say that for sure. I, I think every musician wants to rule their own universe. And well, you know, one of the one of the problems you mentioned about guitar players being too loud. I've never. That's just a joke. Well, no, it's mostly true though. I know, but it's still a joke. <laughs> well. <laughs> Don't take, it, don't take it personally. <laughs> I don't at all. Because I hate loud. My ears have been trashed, man. Yeah, I just, yeah, I, yeah. In fact, I, I went and saw Brian Setzer last night. First thing I did uh -huh. was put in plugs. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just can't take the volume that the rest of the audience can take. Cause yeah, I've been yeah. way, too many, way too many days in a row on stage with yeah. loud situations. Um, but, but for the most part, especially when, when players are playing in clubs, they'll have their amp behind them, the speaker behind them, facing the audience, hitting them in either the calves or the knees. Yeah. So when it sounds really good to you, it's killing the people in the first 10 rows, at right. least. Right, right, So there, there are ways around that, but most sound guys don't do that. <laughs> in fact, well, one thing you could do is put the guitar up in the monitor so it's so loud the guitar player naturally turns down. <laughs> But most most sound guys don't know that trick. It astounds me. That's funny. Yeah. Uh, well, the, the thing that people, if, if people only knew, if people, if people, if, if, people if, if people in the audience only knew the shit that went on, that go that goes on. Yeah. Well, thanks for letting us in on some of it. Yeah, that was a lot of blabbing, wasn't it? <laughs> that was great. That, that's what it. Well, I'm gonna let you go back to your uh, to your practicing and your and your cats and your and your and your, and your mouse corpse and oh god, the glass and yeah. uh, everything else. And, and really, thank you so much for coming in. This has been fabulous. Well, thanks for having me. It was fun. Thanks. Ooh.